Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and tonight I'm very excited that our good friend and radiology resident, Dr. Will Woodruff, will be teaching for his first time tonight on a topic called the Prophets of the Exile. Actually, these will be prophets from both the exile and also shortly thereafter the exile. Seven prophets in total. I'll try and say them all correctly. Of course, Will will get these right. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And so he'll cover, yes, all seven of those prophets tonight. Um, Will is actually someone I grew up with in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I know his family, uh, his mom, his dad, his other brother, and uh, it's just a real honor to get to know Will, and uh, he's going to do a fantastic job tonight. So without further ado, let's go over to Dr. Will Woodruff right now with the Prophets of the Exile. <laughs> All right, so tonight we're going to be talking about the prophets of the exile. Uh, so that's going to cover about seven books. Uh, so we're just going to hop right in. Uh, so we've broken these up into there's the prophets of the exile, which is going to include Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, not actually a prophet, not actually someone named Lamentations, but uh, we are going to cover it. Uh, then Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, then we'll get into the prophets after the exile which includes Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Uh, so when Kyle first talked to me about teaching this, I think my first response was, yeah, sure, I'd love to do it, but who is Haggai? Could you remind me who that is? And if I were to pick like a section of the Bible that maybe I need to study more, is probably this one. So hopefully maybe some of you all feel the same way and I can help. I, I've been amazed getting into it, how much there is that is in it. Uh, so before I started talking about it, I just want to kind of lay it out why I think this is important. I think I missed a lot of this when I was going through uh, like vacation Bible schools and early on Christian education. And But there's some really good deep stuff in here. I hope that I'm able to display that or put it all out there for you. Um, but there's we're going to talk about how this is like the climax of the Old Testament story and how it fits into the log- larger picture of the Bible, how we see God's justice uh, throughout this section. And we see how we can express suffering and grief as Christians. And we're going to have a religion and politics and advice for life of living in exile. So we have some big topics and uh, we're just going to hop right in. Uh, so just to give a little review before we get started too, is that we're, if I'm saying this is the climax of the Old Testament storyline, we've been building to this uh, as we've been going at throughout this like kind of surface level view that we've been doing the past couple months uh, this is we've been working to this point and so if we say that the the Bible storyline started with an ordinary world in the garden and then say an exciting incident was the fall then say the main plot is separation from God what are some ways that we've had this like kind of like rising action or this storyline plot build that we've covered can y'all help me fill in the plot line yeah, it's one time after another of that separation leading to people messing stuff up. I mean, it's one thing after another after another. Some of those videos we watched have shown that, the sort of downward spiral, and then it gets a little bit better, and then it gets worse again. Yeah. Yeah, we just keep spiraling down with the judges and the kings and generations and generations of sin and falling farther and farther away from God and the problem of separation just getting worse and worse. Um. 
so like I took this graph from like the simplified hero's journey. So when I started looking this up, there's like this like set of like 17 steps that like all major storylines like follow into. Like if you like how a story is built, there's like this formula. And uh, so this is like the simplified version of it, but there's like the ordinary world and there's the call to adventure and the refusal of the call and the meeting of the mentor and the crossing of the first threshold. That, like every major movie like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, they all fit into. Uh, so with getting to the Babylonian exile and what we're gonna be talking about tonight, as we've been building and the drama's been building, we've gotten farther and farther away from God throughout the judges and the kings and now we're getting to the exile. This is kind of like the point in the movie where you're like, how are we going to get out of this? This is kind of the worst of the low. Like, how are we going to make this better? This is like the Mountain Dew and the Lord of the Rings of, like, how are we going to get past it? Um, and so with that, what it means for the Israelites is, so they are taken out of their homeland. And so throughout the Bible, they've been given this promised land where they were promised to go and to be close to God. And they built their temple there. And that was their one connection to God. And God lived with them. But now that's taken away. The temple is destroyed. They no longer have that connection with God. They're no longer in the promised land where they have been going for for generations. And um, I guess like all hope is lost. It's like really a faith shattering moment for the Israelites. And so after years of warning that all this prophecy comes true and all their hundreds of years of tradition and culture just are destroyed in one year. Um, and so that's kind of the backdrop that we're going to be set in tonight. Uh, so I'm going to use the word exile a lot tonight. Um, that may, I think that is one of your first blanks. It's used in the section as a symbol for alienation and longing for more. Uh, this exile is you're leaving your homeland, you're disoriented, you're void of the comforts of home. Um, I don't know about y'all, but a lot of us are like homebodies that we like to be in the comforts of our home. We like to be on the couch or watching football, like in our pajamas, and so like not having that comfort is disorienting. <laughs> uh, um, this picture that I put up is like one from our most recent trip. And we stay in that little red building. I took this on my iPhone, but we had hiked up and it was, I thought it fit well with Exile or that we lost the comfort of the phone. And if you, I want to ask Caitlin about all the comfort she was missing, she'll fill you in to however much you want. <laughs> She's still kind of mad at me for making her go up there. I didn't realize you took that photo. That's crazy. Yeah, that was my iPhone. Wow. Yeah. That's unreal. Wow. All right. Uh, so exile is a common theme throughout the Bible. Um, there's the starts off with the exile from the Garden of Eden of Adam and Eve getting kicked out. Um, Abraham's kind of exiled from his home and he's told to go search for a promised land. Most of our patriarchs spend the majority of their life in exile with Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all spending large chunks of time in exile. Um, Israel, Israel's exiled to Assyria before the Babylonian exile happened. So at that point, Judah is like, they think that there's all that's left of God's holy land and or God's holy people. And then we're gonna get to Jewish exile today to Babylon and how there's kind of a continued exile today that Peter talks about that we're foreigners and living in exile today as Christians. All right. So some historical historical perspective for the Babylonian exiles. Uh, after defeating Egypt, which Egypt had kind of taken over partially Judah, uh, Judah became a Babylonian vassal in 605 BC. In 58, 586 BC, after attempted revolts by Judah, 
Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, its temple, and it deported many of its leading citizens. And this ended Judah's existence as an independent kingdom and started a f- multi-phase deportations. And after the fall of Babylon to Persia under Cyrus the Great in 539 BC, the exiled Judeans were permitted to return to the Promised Land. So, uh, to start off now, we're just going to hop into some of these books. So Jeremiah is the first one we come to. We're going to kind of give a little background and then talk about what's in them and kind of try to emphasize some key points that I think have come up in these books. Uh, So Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, or he's the messenger of God's justice and grace. Um, He kind of had a really tough job because he was called to warn Israel about all the consequences of breaking the covenant with God. I guess, sorry, I'm going to be talk, saying Israel and Judah interchangeably during this talk. Forgive me for that. Just It's going to be way, way easier. Um, so his job was to tell all the people that he was living with that God's ju- judgment is finally going to come after we've been betraying him and for generations and generations. And so as you can imagine, that didn't make him like the most popular prophet or most popular person. Um, in his time, priests tried to plot to murder him. The king had this plan to kill him so that he, the king put him in a basket and lowered him to mud and then tried to starve him to death so that the king sa- said that he was dying of natural causes and that the king didn't actually kill him. Um, for a while, he was imprisoned. Um, really just not a very popular guy, which I, you can imagine if you're like, telling all your friends and family you're going to die and all this is going to come to crashing down, that's what's going to happen. Um, so we get this picture of Jeremiah and for the first 24 chapters it's accusations and warning for Israel so the core idea throughout this section is that Israel has broken the covenant from the Torah because they're not following the laws of the Torah there's just rampant social injustice ongoing one of the ways that he really emphasizes how bad things have gotten is that he gives this temple sermon in chapter 7 where he talks about how in the temple in Jerusalem they're worshiping God just like it's normal, but just outside the temple walls, they're performing child sacrifice and worshiping other gods. And if there's like one thing that really takes God off, it's worshiping other gods and they're doing it to the stem of child sacrifice. Um, so in some level, you kind of have to like get that like, it makes sense that like some justice is coming if they like keep failing God over and over again. At some point he has to say like, okay, this is enough, here's the consequences. Um, I kind of think of it like being a, like a father would, like if you're disciplining George, eventually you have to say like, okay, George, that's the last warning. You're going to go be put in time out. Uh, or since I don't have kids and a lot of you don't either, the best uh, way I can try to describe it is through, like with the puppy, with ours, the thing that drove me nuts and that he kept doing over and over again as a puppy was that he would eat our socks. And I don't know what started it. I think he was just playing with them at the beginning. And then he started eating them, and then he ate several of them, and then like we were worried if he's gonna have to have like emergency surgery at some points. Dirty, dirty, dirty socks. Dirty, dirty socks. He, I think he liked the smell of that. So there were several times where <laughs> he would just throw them up like weeks later, uh, and they'd just been in there the whole time. So for his, so that he didn't die or like nothing bad came to him, we eventually had to exile him from our bedroom in our closet. We had to lock the doors forever, and he can't, he can never go in that area. <laughs> so he is in like a closet exile until maybe he repents and gets older and 
can come back to the promised land where there's a nice bed to lay on. I don't know. You can sense that in his demeanor, I think. Yeah, I try to pick kind of a sad face. <laughs> uh, so next section is uh, chapter 25. Uh, God tells Jeremiah who is coming, who's bringing this justice. It's going to be Babylon and that they will take Jerusalem into the exile. In chapters 26 through 45, the uh, story kind of shifts a little bit. There's talks about judgment and hope for Israel and for the nations. So they're saying, yes, this judgment's coming, but there is going to be kind of a new beginning, a new hope after it. So after the exile, God will renew the covenant and Israel will return to its land. All nations will acknowledge Israel as God. And then God will use Babylon to judge the nations around Israel because they thought that they were gods themselves. And then it'll become Babylon's turn to be judged. So he's using Babylon to enact his judgment, but then it'll be their turn as well. And throughout this, there's uh, hope for David's line that a messianic kingdom is coming. So the key point for, that I was going to point out for Jeremiah is that Jeremiah connects the reason for exile and that separation from God is still the problem that we're trying to fix. Oh yeah, so in my reading of Jeremiah, I found that Memphis is actually in the Bible. It says, also the men of Memphis and Tepanes have cracked your skull. Jeremiah 2.16. So ever since biblical times, Memphis has kind of been thug and has some, <laughs> has some grit and grind. And no, these people are no longer with us, but Memphis is still in the Bible. It's like the best possible. Yeah. It's like cracking skulls. <laughs> yeah, the great and great. As Memphis. That needs to be a Grizzlies t-shirt. Yeah, I totally agree. The men Memphis have cracked the skulls. We should make one themselves. Yeah, they could be the new growl towel. Cracking skulls. Anyway, we'll talk to them about that. My brother has a shirt that says Jesus loves Grizzlies and has like Jesus holding up Grizzly. There's a market for it. I don't know. It is the South. It'll be four years to win the playoffs. They need grout towels, but we'll get to that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so moving on to Lamentations. So it is a collection of five lament poems that all recount the fall of Jerusalem. It's written by an anonymous author. Previously thought it was Jeremiah. Now we're not exactly sure. And one thing that I thought was really cool about Lamentations is kind of the order and the form of art that it's put in. So we talked last week, I believe it was about the different forms of literature and art throughout the Bible. Uh, Lamentations, the first four chapters are written as acrostic, meaning that each verse starts with the letter, the, the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So there'd be 22 verses in the, uh, so for the first three chapters, and then they all fit together. It's kind of like exploring suffering from A to Z. It goes and does that three times throughout the fourth chapter. And then the fifth chapter, that pattern just falls to chaos because they're so distraught. And it doesn't follow that pattern anymore. And the fifth chapter is a, uh, let's see, it is a, uh, is a communal prayer for God's mercy. And so there's... I think it's just neat that that art is in the Bible and that he uses different illustrations and poetry. He uses the example of a widow that is uh, full of grief and shame. Uh, he asks the Lord to see her distress. It's like Jerusalem that has to see her distress, that what they're going through after the fall. 
so key point in limitations is the expression of grief and distress is an important aspect of humans' relationship with God. All right. Uh, next book is Ezekiel. Uh, so Ezekiel was one of the first prisoners taken to Babylon in one of the first phases of the, the deportation. Uh, when he was in a refugee camp, I think that is one of your blanks, he was commissioned by God, and his book covers 22 years of prophecy throughout the exile. So he was appointed on his 30th birthday, which was like the day that he would have become a priest had he still been in Jerusalem. And he had this vision from God. And Ezekiel is kind of like the crazy prophet that you like think about when you like are picturing the prophets and you're like, man, those are like weird times. Like he, he was kind of had a similar job to Jeremiah where he had to warn the people and tell them like this, because of your actions, this is why this is coming. So he had these like set of weird sign acts to tell them about what the exile was going to be like. Like he built this little miniature set of Jerusalem in the streets and then he wiped it out. So I kind of picture him like making a row of Jerusalem and then like knocking all over in front of everyone. And then for a while, he cooked all of his meals over poop and ate them like that to, to say how that bad the food was going to be in exile in Babylon. So, need to eat after that. yeah, I was just taking a little too far there. <laughs> um, and then when he's called by God, he like is given a scroll and this is all poetry prophet but he's he eats the scroll and says oh that tastes like honey and just like kind of hot, odd to put like all these pictures together but Ezekiel is like a lot of Ezekiel is poetry so like we talked about last week about a third of the Bible is poetry and it uses a lot of dreams and visions to evoke emotion and imagination the first 11 chapters are accusations against Israel all in all, Jeremiah and Ezekiel kind of have a pretty similar layout to where they accuse and then they start to kind of bring back new hope once the judgment is like they've given the reasons for the judgment. So in the first 11 chapters, there's accusations, accusations against Israel. In part of this, chapters 8 through 11, there's something called the temple vision. And in that, he sees, Ezekiel sees a vision of the temple and he sees all the terrible things that are going on, like the sacrifice to other gods. And in that, God's chariot picks up and leaves the uh, temple with the ark, and he travels with the people to Babylon. It's like a symbol that God travels with his people. He's not there anymore because his people have turned for him. I think that is a neat picture. Uh, the next session is Judgment on Israel. That goes through 12 through 24, where Ezekiel depicts himself as a lawyer, arguing that judgment is deserved. And then that judgment is coming for Israel and all the countries around it because they have viewed themselves as God too. In chapter 33, it's like the warnings become reality. He hears that Jerusalem is falling, so he kind of says, I told you so that this is coming this whole time. And then the rest of the book, it's different ideas of hope for Israel, the nations, and all creation. So in Israel, there's going to be, Ezekiel tells us that there's going to be a new David, a new Israel, and there will be a transformed people, and that God's going to to replace their hard hearts and send his spirit into the people in the Holy Spirit. Uh, God's going to defeat evil among the nations and God's presence will return to his people in the Messianic kingdom. Are there any blanks throughout this that I've missed? Just let me know if I have. One per, that one was refugee camp. Okay. 
Alright, the next book that we come to is Daniel. So I th think for a lot of us, Daniel is probably the one that we probably feel most relatable to. We re remember these stories from VBS. The first six chapters of Daniel, I really like those VBS stories that we remember. And then the last seven, or seven through twelve, are Daniel's visions. Um, that There's a lot of talk about beast and defeating the beast. And the point of this is supposed to be that uh, so it's up there. Let's see. All human beings become beasts when they don't acknowledge God's kingdom, but one day God will confront the beast and rescue the world. Uh, so throughout Daniel, we get this really neat picture for ways to live in exile. And so the people are taken into a place that that's foreign to them, and they have several options. They can rebel and just not just do what they want to. They can submit totally and worship the gods of the Babylonians. Or there's kind of a third option that Daniel and his friends present to us, which is the idea of loyalty and subversion of, yes, we'll be loyal to, to the kingdom of Babylon and serve for its greater good, but we're going to draw the line and not compromise on some certain things. Um, and so the w ways and examples that he's they've done that, uh, so some of the ways that he's loyal and his friends are loyal, so Daniel's friends take on Babylonian names and clothes. Uh, they study the Babylonian literature and language. Daniel's friends were some of the first exiles taken out of Judah. So they're, they were like the smartest of the smart of their class, and they were chosen to serve in the king's uh, palace, and they become administrators in the kingdom, and they do their duty when they're called upon, so just interpreting the king's dreams. Uh, but at the same time, they're keeping their true to their virtues and what they think is right. Uh, they don't eat the king's food and the wine. They refuse to eat it. And they say, test us and see if us eating our own vegetables, if we are stronger than if we were to be eating the king's wine. So they do this test over a series of 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends all look buffer than all the other Babylonian pe people in the court. And from that, we create a fad diet known as the Daniel diet, endorsed by Chris Pratt. <laughs> the second way that they uh, use subversion is that they refuse to bow down to the image of gold. So this 90-foot statue that they say of Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told to bow down to. They say, no, we're not going to do it. So they laid down their life in a non-violent protest. They got them thrown into a fiery furnace. And, and through that, they were able to, when the God's Savior of them, they were able to change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Um, and then Daniel himself, he refuses to stop praying uh, when it's made a decree that no one can pray to any of their kings in the kingdom. And that gets Daniel thrown into a lion's den and Lord save. And through that, Darius, who's the uh, king at that time, is he proclaims the name of God throughout all the nation and tells all of Babylon that Daniel's God is the highest God and that he endures forever. Uh, so all in all, Daniel was able to serve the kingdom of Babylon and not make compromises and to gain power. And he does it in kind of like a land that kind of sounds similar to what the U.S. is today. Um, Jesus gives us similar examples of this because Jesus was under Roman rule during his time and he said give to Caesar with Caesars, but at the same time he was subversive. Uh, and throughout this, Babylon becomes a symbol for any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous good or evil. 
and we should critique any kingdom that exalts its own values and power to the place of God, but also seek peace and offer our efforts to the communities in which we live. So I think in that Daniel's very relatable and a book that we should turn to in this time and age. All right, so next up is Haggai. So hopefully after all this, y'all can also tell me who Haggai is. <laughs> uh, so Haggai is a prophet, and this, his book was written about 70 years after the exile had ended. So this is after the Persians had defeated the Babylonians and said, people of Judah, you can go back to your um, land, but you're still under Persian rule. And so Haggai tells the story of experience of a small group of Israelites that included the high priest Joshua and Zerubbabel, who's in the line of David, who go back to return to rebuild Jerusalem. Rebuild is your blank there. And it's a short book. It's only two chapters. Um, it starts off accusing the people at that time that have come back to the exile of misplaced priorities. Uh, so the people that come back, they were starting to build back their own fancy homes instead of building the temple. And so Haggai asked the people, is it really more important to build your own homes than to uh, build, show your allegiance to God? And so I think there's a lot about where our priorities should be in that. Um, and I was trying to think of examples of that. And like it's a lot of the times in ministry where you say like, take care of your like people's basic needs, give them like food, water, and shelter, and then maybe you can like help show them God. But the priorities here is build God's temple first, and then make your own home. Um, like when I was in youth ministry, we went down to like New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, and we're tearing down houses and building houses, and just trying to think of like telling those people that like we need to build the church first instead of like taking care of your home. Like a, just, just like a different way of thought that is brought up here in Haggai, and it'd be a real challenge to me. Uh, the second section is about addressing chattered expectations for the people that have come back from the exile. And so their people were upset that the new temple, the, the second temple, once they started building it, wasn't as fancy and glorious as Solomon's. And so Haggai just tells people to wait. There's a messianic kingdom that's going to be even better than all this that we're building now. Then he calls the people to covenant faithfulness, and then he discusses the future hope of God's kingdom. So the key point that I was taking away from Haggai is that our choices matter, and our obedience is part of how God works in the world. I'm sorry, Caleb. I'll probably, I'm wishing I had him wrap this up because I can't remember the exact words, but it kind of talks about that, about... Um, Kind of, we ask the question of like, why isn't God doing something? And it, you know, the song is like, God made you. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, do something. Yeah. And it, when I hear it, I'm always like, I'm not like 100% with that theology. I'm sort of like, well, but I get the point. It's, yeah. That's true. I think it's also interesting that they, they went back with this like mindset of rebuilding the temple and they like didn't do it. Yeah, this is 70 years after. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And then they complained about how it was done. It's great. Yeah, they said it's not pretty enough, essentially. All right, next up is Zach Zechariah. So he's a prophet that worked kind of in conjunction with Haggai in that same time period, about seven years after the exile. And he also uh, challenged the people to return to God. 
Uh, he challenged the people to not be like their ancestors, which got them into exile in the first place because they kind of started heading back down that direction. And then throughout the next like six chapters, there's these Zechariah's dream visions. So it's kind of a lot like Ezekiel, where it's this poetic, um, kind of sim- symbolic images and with a symmetrical design that address when the Messianic kingdom is going to come, and that is conditional on the this generation being faithful to God. And so they're asking, when is all this suffering going to end? And he just kind of turns around on him and says, will you become a people that is ready to receive God's kingdom? And then he gives us some pictures of what it's going to look like when that day does come in the last couple of chapters. And so he gives prophecy about in the section that the future messianic king is going to ride in on a donkey into the new Jerusalem. That he's going to be a shepherd over his flock. Uh, He's going to be rejected by his people. And then the new Jerusalem is going to be like a garden of Eden. All right. Uh, Last up is Malachi. So this was written 100 years after the exile, uh, after when the Israelites have returned, and they are just as bad as they ever were at this point. Um, They had returned to all these evil ways that had gotten them there in the first place. So throughout the first three chapters of Malachi, uh, God has a series of uh, disputes where he confronts what they're doing and then confronts it and tells them what they're doing wrong, how to do it better. Uh, some of the things that they're doing in this time is they're no longer tithing, which they emphasize. Uh, they're doing poor animal sacrifices. Essentially, they're like taking the um, like the animals they don't want, like the blind disease animals, and sacrifice them to, in the, for their animal sacrifice and being like, he's not going to know this. Um, they're marrying non-Israelites and starting to worship their gods. Divorce and idolatry is ongoing. And I, know, I just was thinking throughout this of like throughout the, all the exile, they probably they couldn't wait for it to be over and for them to get back to their promised land because they thought that they were going to be better at that time. And I'm just thinking in my life, how much, how many times I said like things will be better when I just get past this point. Like when I was in college, I thought, I thought man, I'm going to be better Christian once I like, get into medical school and like have my path figured out and I'm going to serve God by being a doctor and then I got to medical school and I study all the time and I thought oh, it's gonna be better when I'm a resident and I'm like not worried about step one and I don't have to study all the time and, and now I'm working every weekend and I'm like very hardly able to go to church and I think okay it's gonna be better when I'm uh, attending and my schedule's not going to get any better uh, so it's just that it's not just putting it off putting it off it's not going to change us unless we, like our hearts are changed um, that's the key I took away from the section of Malachi um, so Malachi ends is our last book before we head into the New Testament and it kind of serves as this bridge where it summarizes the Torah and the prophets and gives it to us as a unified story uh, the last couple of verses of Malachi say like remember the law of moses and i'll send for you the prophet of elijah before the day of the lord to restore the heart of god's people so after coming out of this lowest of lows and this terrible time of the exile that was our climax that we didn't know how we're going to get come out of we start getting these hopes of a new beginning Uh, we get hope of a new savior uh, through this verse here and others throughout these sections we get hope of new life um, the story that really sticks out on that is um, 
in Ezekiel chapter 37, there's this, the, it's the Valley of the Dry Bones, uh, where God takes Ezekiel in one of his visions to uh, this valley that's full of skeletons and uh, dry bones. And that's the symbol for like where Israel is in their spiritual state at that time, that they're dead, and that there's been this metaphorical death of the covenant relationship. And then uh, by God speaking, then the uh, bones or muscles come back to the bone, bones. They start getting tendons and become bodies. And then wind fills the bones with life and with breath. And there's this new creation and a new like, way of life, a new human that God's spoken into. And that wind coming into the body is just kind of like representing a new creation, like how it, some, it references back to Genesis 2 of like how wind was spoken into Adam and Eve. And, um, that God's creating a new human throughout this time after in the exile and a new beginning to work, serve him and to have a spirit within them. And then the other new thing we have going on is the idea of a new covenant. Uh, so throughout these books that we've been studying, there's been five major covenants that we've talked about and addressed. Uh, the Noah covenant, or not destroy the world again, Abraham, uh, to make a great nation out of him, Moses at Sinai, that God's going to treasure Israel and it be his treasure possession and gave us the Ten Commandments, uh, the Davidic covenant that David's descendant will be, well, the Messiah will come from David's line. Then we get introduced to this idea of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 33, 33. Uh, I have that pulled up here. I know it's a lot of text all in one slide, um, but it's kind of the idea that God's making a new covenant with his people that's going to be better than the one that was given to us at the time of, of Egypt. And this one is going to be mediated by Jesus. And forgive, in it, he forgives us for sins and makes the earlier covenant obsolete. And this is reflected in Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews pulls the same verse from Jeremiah and explains to us how Jesus is the mediator, mediator of this new covenant after the exile. And... Um, through it, sins are forgiven, and through it, all people will know the Lord. And I just think it's really neat that you pulled that back from Jeremiah. Um, Paul shows us how as Gentiles were pulled into this new covenant because of Israel's sin. I think it's in Romans 11, 25 through 32, and how this new covenant is opened up to us as well. And through all this, Jesus is joining us in our exile, and he show, is showing us the way home and a new way of being human. Uh, so, to summarize this, we're going to do the exile. Okay, I want to thank Will for doing an awesome job covering seven prophets in one night. It's no small task. Uh, we ended a little abruptly there because we actually showed a video from the Bible Project on the topic of exile. Really wonderful video. And it explained the different parallels of exile. And so we have, um, because of sin, of separation, and uh, the, you know, the pride of man we see in the first 11 chapters of the Old Testament, it ending with the Tower of Babel, um, which is an, obviously an evil event. And then we see, obviously, through the sin of the patriarchs on down to the judges and the kings, we end up having an exile to Babylon. And then, of course, we uh, now today live in an exile of sorts. This world is not our home. Um, uh, the people of the first century were under 
Roman rule. And then in Revelation, it even talks about Babylon in the sense that, um, depending on how you take Revelation, whether that was speaking of Roman times and then part of Revelation, certainly that talks about the future um, and how we'll come out of that exile once and for all into the new Jerusalem. Uh, so th- this, this sort of parallel or this cycle of exile is a really interesting theme, and I do recommend watching that video. It did a great job at tying up uh, maybe any loose ends you would have from these different lessons now that we've done on the exile. Um, so again, thank you to Will. Wonderful job. And we are now down to our final series on the Old Testament, and that will be next week. David will teach on, I think it's three or four remaining Old Testament books, and uh, then we'll move on to a different series, eventually coming back to the New Testament at the very end of the year to wrap things up. Um, So that's all we have for tonight. Thanks for tuning in to the MDDDS podcast. We will see you next week. Bye-bye.